You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Who's your best friend? I can answer that question in several ways. My best friend growing up was Kelly Armstrong. We played baseball together. He was a great friend. He was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. Great guy. He was my best friend growing up. As I've gotten older, I've appreciated the family I grew up in more and more. I could say that my dad is one of my best friends. My brother is one of my best friends. And so I can answer it in that way. And of course, having been married to Claire now, for 22 years, 23 years, I can say that she is my best friend, my best friend on this earth. Who is your best friend? Now, I want to go ahead and give you that answer uh, to make sure you understand where we're heading in this sermon. If you are a Christian, if you have been born again, if you have been saved... Your best friend is God himself. Now I want you to think about how amazing that reality is. So turn with me to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. We are in the middle of a brief sermon series titled Grace Upon Grace. We finished Ecclesiastes recently, and we're going to start Ephesians very, very soon. And I thought in between those two book studies, it would be good to just kind of orient our hearts toward grace, because we're going to be talking about grace a lot in the book of Ephesians. And I base this series titled Grace Upon Grace on John chapter 1, verse 16, where John is talking about Jesus Christ, the Word become, uh, become flesh. And he says there in verse 16, For from His fullness, the fullness of Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace. In, in other words, Jesus goes above and beyond. His grace is Abundant. His grace is overflowing. It is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. So I want us to think about in this series how God just goes over and above and just lavishes His goodness, lavishes His favor upon us. For example, last week we talked about the peace of God. We said that not only does God give us peace with God, a relationship with Him as we are justified by faith, but He also wants His followers to experience the peace of God in a practical way. When we deal with anxieties, when we turn them into prayers, God lifts those concerns and He replaces them with His peace. And it would be enough if God only gave us peace with God, but He also wants us to have the peace of God. Amen? Well, this morning I want to talk to you about being friends of God. How being a friend of God is a reflection 
of the abundance of God's grace. It would have been enough if God simply would have forgiven us of our sins and said, you are forgiven. That would have been enough, right? Just to know your sins are washed away. Wow! But God didn't stop there. Not only did he forgive us, he makes us his friends. Wow! Grace upon grace. And I want to show you this from Romans chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 6. If you're physically able this morning, I want to ask you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, which is truth with no mixture of error. There in Romans 5, verse 6, the Bible says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, declared righteous by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name. We're so grateful, Lord, for another opportunity to gather as your people. Lord, to, to fellowship, to sing songs of worship. Lord, to declare without reservation that there is nothing better than you. To rejoice in the gospel of Jesus Christ, this this reality that through the finished work of Jesus, we are saved, we are born again, we are reconciled, we have your unfailing presence, grace upon grace upon grace. And Lord, as we study your word today, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us understanding, open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see the truths of Scripture and be moved by them, and be moved to decision. Thank you and praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Again, if all God did was forgive us of our sins, that would have been enough. But God did not stop with forgiveness. He made us His friends through Christ. Now, I want you to see that. In, in fact, I want, to, I want you to see four important truths that you and I need to grasp about being friends of God. To begin to get our hearts and our minds around this amazing reality, we need to understand these four truths. The first truth is just one word. It's the word separation. To understand how good it is to be a friend of God, you need to understand what it's like before you become a friend of God. And It's the word separation. Notice what it says there in verse 10. 
Paul writing here to the church in Rome. He says, If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. He speaks here of salvation, of reconciliation, but notice he mentions there our spiritual status before we are saved. And and he says there, While we were enemies. While we were enemies. This speaks of of settled opposition against God and His ways. It speaks of our separation from God. And what you and I need to understand is that apart from Christ, we are all sinners separated from God. In fact, over in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, the Bible says that our sins have made a separation between us and God. Because of our sins, He has hid His face from us. So God is holy. He is light. There's no darkness in Him at all. And, and when we sin against a holy God, there is a, an immediate separation. There's a barrier of impurity between us and a holy God. Because Habakkuk says, God's eyes are, listen, so pure, he can't even look upon sin. That's a problem because every one of us in this room have sin. We are all sinners separated from God. Speaking of humanity and God, the theologian A.W. Pink writes this, Instead of friendship, there is a state of hostility existing. Instead of amity, there is enmity, which results in separation and alienation between them. The parties at variance are man and God, he writes. Man has grievously offended the Most High. He has cast off allegiance to Him, revolted from Him, despised His authority, trampled upon His commandments. Then he writes this, The enormity of such an offense it is impossible for us to fully conceive. The heinousness of it can only be measured by the exalted dignity of the one against whom it is committed. In other words, God is infinitely holy and majestic and pure. And when we sin against him, it is an infinite offense against that God. Our sin separates us from a holy God. And in our sin, apart from Christ, we are far from God and lost and distant. Now, people try to deal with the reality of separation from God in in several different ways. One way that people try to deal with it is just atheism. There there are people in our society that say, well, I'm not going to worry about that because I'm just going to declare that there is no God. I'm an an atheist. The word a uh, negates the word theist. I, I, I don't believe there is a God. And that's not a wise move because the Bible says in Psalm 14 that the fool says in his heart there is no God. A a, a person who's an atheist is, is willfully suppressing the ample evidence God has built into creation to show that there is a God. But some people just say, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to worry about my relationship with God. I'm not going to worry about separation. I'm an atheist. Other people, and this is most of the world, deal with the separation between them and God through what I call appeasement. And appeasement is simply saying, you know what, 
whatever my concept of God is, I know that something's not right. I know that I'm not right with God. I'm not where I need to be. And so I'm going to try to do some things and perform some works so maybe, just maybe, my God will accept me and show me favor. And, and so much of the known world is simply trying to appease God, to do a bunch of things thinking, well, maybe if I do enough stuff, God will accept me. That's works-based salvation. All the world religions, apart from biblical Christianity, teach works-based salvation, trying to appease God. I know there's something not right, so let me do some stuff. Let me do some good stuff, and maybe God will accept me. That's appeasement. And that's not wise either, because no matter how many good things a person does, no matter how fervent or sincere they are, if their sin problem has not been dealt with, there's still separation between them and a holy God. There's a third way people try to deal with this idea of separation, and that is simply altering their view of God. Some people sense, okay, there's a God, and I'm not sure that I'm right with God, and so, you know what, let me just let me create a God in my image so I can feel better about my spiritual condition. And it goes something like this. You know, God is kind of this grandfather figure in the sky sitting on his rocking chair in heaven and and, and one day when I stand before him, he's going to kind of wink at my sin and, and, and sweep my sins under the rug and say, hey, come on into heaven. You're good. Come on in. I'm not mad at you. We're not, we're not separate. Everything's good. And, and instead of the, 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 the clinging to the biblical view of the holy God of the universe, the living God, people alter their view of God. And they make God into this, in this, in this figure that they think will accept them in their sin. And that's not wise, because the Bible tells us clearly that our God is a holy God. Light, in him there's no darkness at all. So we can't recreate God. The Bible speaks and tells us who God is. So we all need to come to terms with this reality that apart from Jesus, our sins have separated us from God. We are far from God. And, and Romans says we are enemies of God. That's pretty strong language. But that leads us to the second word, the second truth about being friends of God. And it's the word initiation. We're enemies of God. We've sinned against Him. We're far from God. We're, we're separated from God. But God loves us. So God desired to do something about the distance. He desired to do something about the separation. Look what it says back in Romans 5, verse 6. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Speaking of Jesus Christ coming to this earth, taking on human flesh, living a perfect life, going to the cross, taking our sin upon himself, taking the wrath of God in our place, dying for our sins, he died for the ungodly. And then Paul makes this, this poignant point. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. In other words, in our society, there's such thing as, as, as noble death. If you're defending someone, 
uh, from, from harm and you die defending them. That's, that's noble. We see that as a, a noble death. But look in verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, listen, bringing nothing to the table but our sin, nothing lovely about us, just, we're just sinners, enemies of God. But while we were still sinners, look what it says, Christ died for us. That speaks of God's initiation. We are separated from God because of our sin, but God loves us, so God did something about it. And here's what I want you to understand, and it's so glorious. Listen, God made the first move. That's what the word initiation means. And God's initiation, the fact that he made the first move in sending his son for you, settles the question of whether or not God loves you. Maybe there's some even in this room this morning, and you wonder, does God really love me? I mean, we're talking about God. And here I am in my little insignificant corner of the universe, and I've experienced brokenness and failure. I mean, does God really love me? And Romans 5, 8 answers that question definitively. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, we, 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 we don't bring anything to the table. But while we were sinners, God demonstrates, God proves his love for us in that Christ died for us. If you wonder whether or not God loves you, all you've got to do is look to the cross. Where God proved his love for you by giving his own son to die in your place. But God made the first move. We could not make our way to God. We're separated by our sin. We could not work our way to God. Our sin must be dealt with. And so God did something. When we could not make it to God, God came to us. That's initiation. There's a song I love by... Casting Crowns that speaks of this initiation. It goes like this. You didn't wait for me to find my way to you. I couldn't cross that distance even if I wanted to. You came running after me. But anybody else would have turned and left me at my worst. Love moved first. Aren't you grateful this morning that God loves you? Aren't you grateful that God didn't leave you in your separation? That God did not leave you in your enmity? He didn't leave you to figure it out or try to work your way to Him? God came to you. That's, that's initi initiation. That's how much God cares about you. Which leads to the third word. We're talking about separation and initiation. third word is reconciliation. It's the word that Paul uses here in this text. Look what he says there in verse 10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, 
shall we be saved by his life. This word reconciliation is a very, very important biblical word. You see, reconciliation happens when two parties who are in dispute or who are estranged are brought together. We know that to be true in our, in our world, in our own life experience, that when two people are at odds and they come together, reconciliation has happened. And, and Paul uses this word to speak of what happens between us and God through Jesus, through, he says, the death of his Son. And, and let me just give you a very clear definition of the doctrine of reconciliation how Paul is using this word. The doctrine of reconciliation states, listen, that through Jesus, we who are separated from God are brought into a personal relationship with God. Or let me make it even more simple and more glorious. In our sin, we are separated from God. We are enemies of God. But when we embrace Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, His blood shed on the cross of Calvary washes away our sin, takes away the barrier of impurity between us and a holy God, and we are brought into a relationship with that God whereby, listen, the God of the universe calls us friend. Think about that. The God of the universe calls us friend. We see this idea over in James 2, 23, when James quotes the Old Testament. He says, The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. God declared Abraham righteous, saved on the basis of his faith in the promises of God. But then it says, and he, Abraham, was called a friend of God. I'm sure Abraham would have been thrilled if he was just declared righteous. That would have been good enough, right? But not only did God declare Abraham righteous on the basis of his faith, he brought him near and said, Abraham, you are my friend. Wow. Over in John 15, 12 through 15, Jesus uses the same, the same picture he says to his disciples, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And he says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I, listen, have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus says to his disciples and to everyone who has believed in him through the gospel message, I call you friends. Wow. That's the doctrine of reconciliation. So who's your best friend? 
We all have different answers to that question, but, but if you're a Christian, there's no question. Your best friend is God himself. What a privilege you and I get to enjoy. So there's some implications. That's the fourth word. We've talked about separation and initiation and reconciliation. Jesus taking away the impurities so we can be brought near to God, experience a relationship with him. But there are some implications. In, in other words, if we are truly friends of God, it ought to matter for our day-to-day living, right? So let me give you four implications of what it means to be a friend of God. First of all, marvel at his grace. Marvel at his grace. Look what it says back in verse 10. You may have missed this the first time we read it, but these two words are so powerful. I love it. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, watch this, much more, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. It's enough that we could just be Forgiven, but, but much more now. We have this reconciliation. We get to live life, daily life, in relationship with God. And this is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. I just want to encourage you this morning as you think about being a friend of God. I want to encourage you to marvel at His grace. You know what the word grace means? We'll talk a lot about this when we get to Ephesians. But, but the word grace, it simply means unmerited favor, undeserved blessing. It's all of the spiritual blessings that are ours when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we don't deserve any of them. It's grace. 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you did not receive? It's grace. Grace upon grace. And so the fact that you can call God friend should capture your heart. These songs that we were singing this morning, not just, not just, it's not just a musical number. Daniel knew where I was headed with the sermon this morning. And to sing, I am a friend of God. He has called me friend to remind ourselves what a friend we have in Jesus. Marvel at his grace. Listen to me. I don't deserve it. But Jesus is my best friend. What a What an incredible blessing. Marvel at his grace. Number two, and this kind of follows on the footsteps of the first one, enjoy God. Enjoy God. Look what it says there in verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul's saying, now that you have been justified, now that you've been forgiven, now that you've been declared righteous, now that you've been reconciled, now that you're a friend of God, rejoice in God. In other words, now that you have the Lord, enjoy Him. Rejoice in that relationship with Him. Let me ask you a question. 
And I don't want you to raise your hands. And this is not meant to be uh, demeaning, but it's meant to show us sometimes the gap between the reality that we have in Christ and our daily experience. How many of you in this room who know Jesus, who are saved, converted, went an entire week and didn't even talk to your best friend? How many in this room went an entire week and never opened up the Bible to see what your best friend has to say to you? Wow. See, that's where these doctrinal realities that we're talking about get into everyday life. You know, Jesus is concerned about our Sundays, but he's also concerned about our Mondays. Amen? And Jesus wants, to, wants us to celebrate his friendship on Sunday, but he wants us to live it out on Monday. Since we have this amazing privilege of being friends with God, let's enjoy it. I mean, think about your best friends through the years. You loved spending time with them. Claire's my best friend. She's my favorite person to spend time with. I want to be around her and be around her more. Why? She's my best friend. I enjoy her company. And if God is your best friend, if God is my best friend, shouldn't we enjoy his company? Shouldn't we enjoy walking with him and talking with him and sharing our burdens with him and asking for his help and telling him that we love him and telling him how much he means to us, we ought to enjoy God. He is our friend. Can I encourage you right now? Just right now, can I encourage you? This week, would you ask God for the wherewithal to walk closer with Him than you've ever walked with Him before? If you're a Christian, this week, help me to walk closer with you than I've ever walked with you before. Help me to enjoy your friendship. There's a third implication. Marvel at His grace, enjoy God. But third, draw new lines of allegiance. When you become a friend of God, it changes the game a little bit. Before we were saved, we were at peace with sin and enemies of God. That's what the Bible teaches. We reveled in our sin, we loved our sin, and we hated God in His way and His will. And we rebelled against Him and, and disobeyed Him. Now that we are saved, the calculus changes. Now... We have peace with God and should become enemies of sin. See how that changes? Now that you're a friend of God, you ought to be at enmity with your sin. That's what the Bible teaches over in James chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In other words, you can't love the world and walk closely with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So you and I, now that we have been 
reconciled, now that we've been brought into this relationship with God, He is our friend. Now we should be an enemy with our sin. And love God more and more so that we love the world less and less. You know, it's one thing to, for a pastor to say, stop loving the world, right? Stop loving things you ought not to love. But practically, how does that work? Hundreds of years ago, a Puritan wrote a book titled The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. His name was Thomas Chalmers. And Chalmers wrote The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Here's what he was saying. Instead of just trying to stop loving the wrong things, love Jesus. And the more you love Jesus, the more that love for Jesus will drive out all the wrong loves. The closer you get to Jesus, your friend, the less the things of this world will have a grip on your life. We sing it, don't we? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There's some things I used to love that are now strangely dim. Because my love for Jesus has pushed those. i got the ways to go. But the more I love Jesus, the more the things of this world lose their grip on my soul. Draw new lines of allegiance. And, and here's the fourth implication. And it is plead with others. I want you to turn very quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because we can't talk about reconciliation without talking about this, this passage very quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll be through. Verse 17. The Bible says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. When you are saved, you are made brand new. Can I get an amen on that? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ, here it is again, reconciled us to himself. But it doesn't stop there. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now watch this. This is a powerful, powerful statement. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Here's what that means. If you are a friend of God, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you ought to want others to experience that too. If you are a friend of God, you ought to want others to be friends of God as well. And so when we are reconciled, the Bible says, God puts this ministry of reconciliation in our hands to share Jesus with others so they can be reconciled too. And he says something astounding. When we reach out to others and say, 
would you come to Christ? Would you be saved? God himself is, is speaking through us to reconcile them. Think about that. God himself is working through your efforts to draw people to himself. That is the ministry of reconciliation. So, sometimes I think we make evangelism a little bit too complicated. And, and listen, been there, done that. I've been through, I think, about every evangelism training program that's come out in the Southern Baptist Convention since 1980. I mean, you name one, I've been through it. Faith, you know, evangelism explosion, people sharing G, share Jesus without fear, the net. I mean, I've been through them all, right? Three circles. They're good. We, we need to have a, a way to share our faith. But, but don't forget... When you boil it all down, evangelism is simply introducing people to your best friend. Right? It's what it is. It's saying, I love Jesus. He's made a difference in my life. And he'll make a difference in your life too. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Friends of God. Friends of God should want others to be friends of God too. To experience this amazing grace that God offers us through His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, when we all get to heaven, those that know Christ, if we got to heaven and God was far, far away, and God said... Because of my son, I've forgiven you. You can stay, but keep your distance. I would take that deal, wouldn't you? Heaven's better than the alternative, amen? But isn't it amazing that God doesn't just say, you're forgiven. He says, come near, come near. Enjoy my presence. Enjoy my peace. Enjoy my activity in your life. Enjoy time with me. Enjoy walking with me. Enjoy talking with me. Enjoy me speaking to you through my word. Enjoy me. Come near. Draw near. I'm your friend. You know what that is? Grace upon grace. Upon grace. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.